Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, May 4th, 2016. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Boston, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, BeantownAthletics.com. And you know what, I'm going to get this out of the way because this isn't my thing, but I see everybody tweeting it and talking about it on social media May the 4th be with you. Again, it's not my thing. A lot of people look at this being, what, Star Wars Day or something. I'm not a Star Wars guy, okay? Let's get that out of the way. I think if you listen to this show, you know I am not a Star Wars guy. Now, I don't know that I hate it. I'm not going to sit here and crush the people that love it because obviously there's a whole lot of people that love Star Wars and that I've seen saying today, may the 4th be with you. But I, I just... I never got into it as a kid. I never did. I mean, I, I'm, first of all, I should also clarify, I'm not a movie guy to begin with. Like, I feel like if, if I'm going to go see a movie or if I'm going to watch a movie, one, it needs to be funny. Like, it needs to be a comedy. I, if it's not a comedy, I just have a tough time getting into it. Two, it can't be a comedy that's a sequel. Like, I just don't see the sequels. As much as I loved Anchorman, I did not see Anchorman 2. As much as I loved Dumb and Dumber, I did not see the sequel to Dumb and Dumber. As much as I loved Zoolander, I did not see the sequel to Zoolander. Because I do feel like the sequels to those comedies, just, it it can never be as good. It can't, right? So, it needs, one, it needs to be a comedy. Two, it can't be a sequel to a comedy. Like, again, I just told you the comedies that I love. I love old school. Anything with Will Ferrell in it, really, I think is great. Outside of that, I mean, I'm just, I'm not a movie guy. One, so you need to know that when I tell you I'm not a Star Wars guy. And two, if I am a movie guy, it needs to be a comedy. I just, as a kid growing up, Star Wars, there was never really an opportunity for me to even get involved in it. Like, I always felt like movies to me, like, when I was hanging out with friends, we'd be outside. We'd be up M Street Park. We'd be out front playing wiffle ball. We'd be down the street hockey court. Or we'd be playing, you know, you know, doing something. There was something going on growing up in the city outside. I feel like I grew up outside more than I did inside. And if we were inside, it wouldn't be watching a movie. It would be maybe playing video games, right? I think, you know, you'd play PlayStation. or We had Nintendo 64 uh, which was big. Even I had regular Nintendo. <laughs> you know, I, you know what's funny about that too is I still have my old NES system, the original Nintendo system. It's it literally in a big garbage bag with a bunch of different games. Like I got Mike Tyson's Punch Out. I have Duck Hunt. I have the actual gun, the Duck Hunt gun. Um, but I it's the Nintendo too where you have to open up the, you know, you flip it open and you have to blow into the game and blow into the system for it to even work. And it might work for like five minutes, you know, Tecmo, Super Bowl, all these games now coming to mind. I have all those games. That's, that's something that, that I had that we used to play as kids. I never would go inside and watch a Star Wars movie. Like that was just, it just never became a thing to me. So I guess that's why I never got into it. Movies never really became a thing for me. I'm not a big movie guy, but if I am, as I said, Needs to be a comedy. With that said, I'm just getting it out of way. Out of the way. May the fourth be with you. That's for uh, all the Star Wars fanatics 
out there. But it to me, it's just Wednesday, May 4th, 2016. And today's show presented by SeatGeek. SeatGeek has made it easier than ever before to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. What's great about SeatGeek, as I told you the last couple days, the price you see is the price you get. Now, you go on other sites. Most sites are going to try to surprise you at checkout with these monster, outrageous fees, but not SeatGeek. Make sure you download the free SeatGeek app right now and get a $20 rebate on tickets by using the promo code Picard. That's right, Picard as in my last name. Now, I told you yesterday, I've been on this SeatGeek app all week because the Red Sox are going to the Bronx this weekend, and I've never been to the new Yankee Stadium. I'd like to go. So I'm looking for a good deal. I'm looking for the best deal. SeatGeek gives me the best deal, but what they also give me is an opportunity throughout the week to hit the alert button on the SeatGeek app. See, I go in, I search for Red Sox. You can search any game, game, concert, you name it. I search the Red Sox, going to the Bronx this weekend. I hit the alert button on that series and for a couple games in that series. And what SeatGeek is going to do, what the app does, is it lets me know when the ticket prices fall. So they're going to be keeping me updated throughout the week to help me get the best deal possible, even better. Every ticket on the SeatGeek app is given a grade and... I've been able to use their detailed map to see the view from my seat. I've put that to good use because, as I told you, I've never been to the new Yankee Stadium. So I'd like to know where my seat is and and what the view is of the new Yankee Stadium when I buy that ticket. SeatGeek is always the first place that I go to look for tickets to a concert or a game. It should be the first place you go as well. I'll also say this. I'm, I'm on the app this morning. Because it's a great app. And, and even if you just want to search other games in other cities, if you're going away, or, or concerts as well. Like, I'm searching just in Boston. And I didn't realize just how many concert venues they give you. Like, the Paradise Rock Club, the House of Blues, the Wilbur Theater, the Wang Theater, Brighton Music Hall, uh, you name it. Royale, Orpheum Theater. They have pretty much everything you could ask for on this SeatGeek app, whether you're looking for a game or a concert. So make sure you download it today. And once again, the promo code is Picard, as in my last name, Picard, to get a $20 rebate on tickets on the SeatGeek app. So that's how we will begin the show. And and I'm going to get into some NBA playoffs, some Stanley Cup playoff stuff uh, that happened last night. Uh, and even the Red Sox losing to the White Sox last night in Chicago, 4-1. to one. But just a, a Deflategate update, because I know you you are just waiting and begging for me to give you a Deflategate update today. We didn't have one yesterday. I have one right now. Though this update came yesterday, late yesterday afternoon, but I already had recorded yesterday's podcast. So I'll give you the update right now. Tom Brady's legal team has been granted a 14-day extension to file a rehearing in the Deflategate case. As you know, last week, uh, this appeals court, they reinstated Tom Brady's four-game suspension. Tom Brady since has added another lawyer to his legal team, who is, I guess, a big name in the the world of court systems and, and legal. I don't know. And again, I'm not a legal analyst. So for me to break down this guy that they brought in, sure, you can go check out his background. Looks great. Awesome. I have no idea where Deflategate is going to end up because they added this lawyer, right? Ted Olson, is that his name? Theodore Olson? Regardless, 
what they then do is they filed for, a, for an extension. And yesterday, Tom Brady and his legal team and the NFLPA, they were granted a 14-day extension to file for a rehearing. Now, on Monday, NFL lawyers requested that this extension be denied, that, the, the, that Tom Brady's request for an extension be denied. That's what the NFL lawyers requested. But yesterday, last night, the court ruled in favor of Brady, his lawyers, the NFLPA. So they now have until May 23rd to officially file the request for a rehearing. Now, that doesn't mean the court system is going to allow this hearing to take place. They still have to uh, accept that. Uh, request, but but Tom Brady's team they have now until May 23rd to actually file the request for a rehearing and their appeal. We'll see what happens, but that's the latest on Deflategate. Is that Tom Brady, his legal team, the NFLPA? They have been granted a 14-day extension, even though NFL lawyers requested that the extension be denied. It was not denied. The extension was accepted. We'll see if they even request. Uh, a rehearing. I think they probably will. I think they will. Um, I think they're just trying to, you know, get everything in order to make sure they have the, I, I guess, the best, I don't know, the best plan to go about this. So we'll, we'll see. There's, this thing is not over. That's the point. The point here is that the Flategate, if this shows you anything, it's that the Flategate is not going anywhere and it, it, we're just getting an extension on the Flategate. It says 14 days, but to me, 14 days is the equivalent of probably 14 years because that's how long I think Deflategate could probably last, which, as I told you, is my biggest fear with Deflategate. So moving on from the Deflategate update, uh, I'll get to some baseball now because last night the Red Sox lost in Chicago 4-1 to to the White Sox. And because the Baltimore Orioles defeated the Yankees last night, Orioles, Baltimore now takes sole possession of first place in the AL East. They are a half game ahead of the Red Sox with a 15 and 10 record. The Red Sox at 15 and 11. Um, tonight, the Red Sox turn to Clay Buckles. I don't know how you could possibly be enthused about that news, but if you want to look at anything positive out of Buckholz pitching in Chicago at U.S. Cellular Field, well, Buckholz is two and two with a 3.38 ERA. Uh, 3.38 ERA, I think, with Buckholz in a certain building and a certain ballpark is something that you would probably accept right now, seeing how many times he's given up four or five earned runs this season. You know, you're asking Buckholz, knowing that Henry Owens is on the mound tomorrow night, Thursday night, you're asking Clay Buckholz to come out and just give you a chance to win. Now, I do think last night that Stephen Wright gave the Red Sox a chance to win. The knuckleballer for the Red Sox pitched six innings, allowed only three hits, two runs, walked four guys, had six strikeouts, throwing 104 pitches. I mean, Stephen Wright gets the loss last night in this 4-1 to loss to the White Sox. But his ERA on the season is still 1.67. So certainly, last night, Stephen Wright gave the Red Sox a chance to win. You look at the Jose Abreu RBI triple in the first inning that put the White Sox up one nothing. Steve Lyons, who was doing the color commentary for the Red Sox on Nesson, he at first put this on Jackie Bradley Jr., who was rushing back to the wall in center field in right center. And 
the, the ball hit the wall and kind of rolled away from Jackie Bradley Jr., which led to the triple and, and scored Jimmy Rollins. But I don't think, and, and, and you know, in fairness to Steve Lyons, he came back after the commercial, after watching the replay, and decided to, to backtrack and take that, you know, he took that back, the criticism of Jackie Bradley Jr., because the ball, look, that's a chain-link fence out there in that wall. And I think Jackie Bradley Jr. knows that if that ball hits the chain-link fence, there's not going to be a real crazy bounce. It's just going to sort of die out there, right? So that's why you do chase it back all the way to the wall, even if you don't think you're going to be able to go up and make a leap and grab. So that's what he planned on doing. The replay showed that ball hit the little post that connects, the padded post that connects the chain-link fence, and that's why it took a crazy bounce to get away from Jackie Bradley Jr. So I'm not going to sit here and put that on Jackie Bradley Jr. And the White Sox end up getting another run on a ground out in the third that gave the White Sox a 2 to nothing lead. Now, Hanley Ramirez in the fifth inning, he hit a solo home run the opposite way to right field. And what did I tell you on yesterday's podcast? I opened yesterday's show, and I surrounded yesterday's show around this idea that Hanley Ramirez, I think, is having a very good start to the season. And I think we should be pleased with the start he's having, not just at first base in the field because he had no errors at a position that I thought he was going to be a disaster at through the first month of the season. He had no errors there. But I also praised him at the plate and his approach at the plate to take the ball the other way. I know he only had one home run going into last night's game. But I said, I don't think you can judge a guy's OPS because, of, because his slugging is down after only one month of the season. That's ridiculous to me. He still was hitting 283. Let's not, you know, let's not ignore batting average now just because we like to pay attention to all these sexy stats in, in Major League Baseball. Like, let's not make batting average be something that, that is non-important. Hanley hit 283. He still had 15 RBIs through the first month. And he had a huge hit against the Yankees Sunday night, and that's what I based my argument on. Okay, he's taking the ball the other way. He's not bailing out on pitches to the outside and trying to rip the ball down the line, swinging and missing, pulling his head out, and the the helmet's falling off. It's not chaotic like that. Well, because of this approach, the power power has been down, but I do think that he's going to hit you some home runs. And last night, he hit a home run to right field the other way. And, and I, I sort of called this. I sort of predicted this on yesterday's podcast. I said, if he has this approach to take outside pitches the other way, I got news for you. He's powerful enough where he's going to put some balls in the seats to right field. And are people going to complain then? Right? Look, Hanley Ramirez is still going to get his home runs to left field. He's still going to hit balls over the monster, over the monster seats, into the monster seats. He's still going to do that. It's just, I think right now, with this approach, when he's taking balls the other way, usually around Major League Baseball, when we see a hitter doing that, we say he's locked in. This is when he's looking good. But for some reason with Hanley, some people in this town, they just didn't want to accept that. Do the power numbers need to improve? You know, does he need to hit more than five, six home runs this season? Sure. But do you really think that he's only going to hit five, six home runs this season if he plays an entire season? I mean, give me a break. I, I do think the power numbers are going to increase. Look, he's hitting, what, you know, 280 right now. And uh, I just, I I don't look at that as a bad thing. He's hitting 284. He went one for three last night. He accounted for the Red Sox only run, a solo home run in the fifth inning that he took the, the other way. And I tweeted out, well, when he hits the ball the other way and it goes over the fence, 
Are people still bitching about him taking the ball the other way? I don't think so. Heard crickets last night when Hanley Ramirez hit that home run. And, and I sort of called it and predicted it on yesterday's podcast in my praise of Hanley Ramirez. But that turned out to be the only run the Red Sox had. The White Sox add two more in the eighth inning because Yanichi Tozawa was just brutal. And that was, I mean, that inning was like an hour long. Tozawa, here's the thing about Tozawa. When he, and it's, you can say the same thing about Koji. When these two guys go out in that mound and their splitter is non-existent, like when they, they know right away when they don't have their splitter. Like when, when Tazawa has no split and no movement on that splitter, they know right away and they know they're not going to get it back. They know that this is going to be a battle. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they can't battle and get out of an inning, but most of the time, when they know they don't have their split, you don't even need to look at the pitch to know that they don't have it. Their body language tells it all. Their body language jumps off the screen. Tozawa last night, his body language, you saw early on that he had no split. That's why I think he went uh, predominantly fastball last night. His body language was just awful. I mean, he knew it. I mean, he, he you look at his face, his body, it was awful. And... So you knew it was going to be a battle, and uh, it just, it was not good for Tozawa last night. The White Sox get two more runs in that eighth inning to take a 4-1 to lead. But really, the difference in this game, I mean, it kind, it's kind of simple. You know, we could sit here and crush Tozawa. I'm not going to do that. We could sit here, and you can't crush Stephen Wright. He gave him a chance to win. You could sit here and crush the Red Sox offense, but how could you possibly do that given how good this Red Sox offense has been all season long, at least through the first month? And I don't think that's going to slow down or stop uh, for, a, for a long stretch. But it was slowed down a little bit last night. But I don't think we crushed the Red Sox for that. I think what we should do is, and, and this is really the story of the game, and I think it's simple. It's you got to tip your cap and you got to praise White Sox lefty Jose Quintana who last night was just great. I mean, that's the story. End, end of story. All you need to say is, last night, White Sox went at 4-1, Jose Quintana. He is now 4-1 on the season. He has a 1.40 ERA. He went eight innings, allowed only four hits, one run on the Hanley Ramirez home run, didn't walk anybody, and struck out five. Yeah, he didn't, you know, he didn't record the, the 10 strikeout, 12 strikeout dominant performance, but he was hitting his spots with his fastball, uh, he was throwing his breaking stuff at, a, at perfect times. You saw in that nasty pitch to David Ortiz in which he struck him out. And he was efficient in eight innings, only throwing 101 pitches. I thought Quintana was great last night. And in a series for the White Sox in which, I mean, going into last night's game, they DFA'd one of their lefties, John Danks. And they don't have Chris Sale going in this series Quintana needed to step up in a big spot in a big series, and he did. And he pitched great. That was the story. Jose Quintana last night was the story in this one. He was the story for the White Sox, and he's had a great season uh, on that mound. And, and you can tell the White Sox certainly, <laughs> they benefit from that because the White Sox are in first place in their division, and they now have 19 wins on the season. That 19 wins is tied for most wins in Major League Baseball. But guess who? The Chicago Cubs. So it's going to be an exciting summer in Chicago with both of their baseball teams. Uh, I watch this White Sox team, and I'm thinking to myself, 
last year, going into last season, I predicted the White Sox to win the World Series. I was a season too early. Now, because they were terrible last year. Now, they look like the team that I thought they were going to be last year. With Abreu, with Sale, and now you look at even someone like Jose Quintana. It, it, this is a very good White Sox team, and the Red Sox tonight, as I mentioned, are going to turn to Clay Buckholtz. It's not a, it's not a great, it's not a great thing to see if you're the Red Sox. But um, you know, what else do you want him to do? I know people want the Red Sox to take Buckholtz out of this rotation. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I just think that with Joe Kelly still on the DL, with Eduardo Rodriguez still on the DL, and you have this open spot, what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to go down to the minor leagues and pull up somebody from there to make this start? Or are you going to go with Clay Buckholtz, who at least, at least the last couple of years has given you some positive starts, has given you some signs of dominance? Like, I just, I'm not opposed to Buckholtz long-term being off this team, just being out of this town, but for right now, given the circumstances that you find yourself in as an organization that is a couple pitches on the DL, you're going to go with Buckholtz tonight. You can't really feel too confident about it, but I gave you some numbers there where maybe it can help calm your nerves a little bit that Buckholz is a 3.38 ERA at U.S. Cellular Field. That's not terrible, and if that's the case, maybe that'll be good enough for him to give this Red Sox team uh, a chance to win tonight, and really that's all you're asking because I don't think this Red Sox offense, even though you're going up against another lefty tonight, it is not Carlos Quintana. I think the Red Sox offense should score more than one run in tonight's game. So that's where we stand with this Red Sox team. If you want to take a positive from last night, and I think you really should, and it's a huge positive because this also was going to counter the argument of what you see with someone like Tazawa and Koji. And what I just talked about with them is when this split is a non-existent, when they don't have this split, they look lost out there and the body language tells it all. And you know, they're in for a battle when, when they throw that first splitter and it, there's, there's not much movement on it. The positive for the Red Sox last night, and this is a great positive, is that Carson Smith made his debut out of the bullpen. Carson Smith was involved in that trade with the Mariners this past winter, and a lot of people around Major League Baseball said that Dave Dombrowski, you know, this was robbery. Like, he just stole Carson Smith. They couldn't believe that Carson Smith got traded, that the Red Sox were able to get him, especially the deal that they made. So... We've been waiting for Carson Smith. He began the season on the DL. We know he's got a nasty slider. He's got a nice little fastball to go with it. And he's coming out of the pen, and he showed you last night. He came in to pitch the seventh inning. A scoreless inning, one strikeout to end it. Again, he's got that nasty slider, only threw nine pitches. Looks like he's a confident kid on that mound. I tell you what, I know it's only one outing. It's only one inning. It was only three batters that he faced, only nine pitches that he threw. But if you want me to look into the future here, I don't hate Tozawa. I think I like Tozawa more than I like Koji. But I do think that moving forward, or at least in in the near future, that Carson Smith is going to be that eighth-inning guy for this team. I think so. I think he's going to be that setup man. I think he's going to be your go-to setup man. I just think he has the stuff that 
You know, because right now the issue with Koji and Tozawa, again, is that they don't always have that split. And when they don't have that split, it's a battle. I mean, is Kostin Smith going to step on that mound on nights and say, well, I don't have my slider tonight? I don't I don't know that that's going to be the case. Kostin Smith, to me, what I see from him, the gut feeling that I have is, in the very near future, Kostin Smith is going to be your setup man. He's going to be your go-to eighth-inning guy, and you can somehow mix and match Koji and Tozawa in the seventh inning, sixth or seventh. And, and I think that's going to be where this Red Sox team eventually goes with the guys in this bullpen. I do. I think that's where they go. That's how much confidence I have in someone like Kostin Smith. Even though it was only nine pitches, it was only one inning, uh, you, you can go back, look at his stuff in Seattle, He's got the stuff, and it seems like he's got the confidence, too, to be up there on that mound in a big spot and get a couple big outs. So I just think Carson Smith has the makeup to be this team's go-to setup man uh, to then hand the ball off to Craig Kimbrell. I think that's where we're going with it. But that's a positive last night. I think you should look at the positives, right? Tip your cap to Jose Quintana. See that Hanley hit a home run last night, took it the other way, and it still went out. And say to yourself, all right, Tozawa was bad, but guess what? Carson Smith was great. And and if you want to take a positive from that, it's that I think Carson Smith is now being set up to be the setup man for this team. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. So that's how I feel about the Red Sox right now. Sticking with baseball real quick before I move on to some NBA playoff stuff because we did have some drama last night and also in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Sticking with baseball. You know, the first thing I do every day is I I go to ESPN.com. I I go to BostonSports.com. I go on Twitter. Those are some of the things that I do when when I first, you know, open my computer in the morning just to see what's going on in the world of sports and entertainment, what I might have missed the night before, what I missed uh, early this morning around the, the nation, around the country. And the story, one of the top stories on ESPN is, well, of course, they have a LeBron James story. I mean. Obviously, they obviously have a LeBron James story somewhere near the top of the page because the Cleveland Cavaliers making a playoff run, but they always have a LeBron story. Anyways, when you get past the LeBron story, there's a story that reads from outside the lines, more PED suspensions coming in Major League Baseball. As you know, there have been some suspensions in the last couple weeks. You go to Chris Colabello from the Toronto Blue Jays. You go to D. Gordon from the Miami Marlins, leadoff hitter, won the batting title last year. These guys have been suspended for performance-enhancing drugs that they tested positive for going back to spring training. So they tested positive in spring training. The result's coming out now. According to Outside the Lines, there are more suspensions that will be announced in the next couple days. I do not know as to the status or the the celebrity, I should say celebrity status of some of these players. I don't know if they're big names. I don't know if they're borderline minor leaguers. I don't know if they're utility guys. I have no idea what the status is of some of these players who it will be announced they will be suspended for tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs in the next couple days. I don't know. I will say this. The fact that you see this story instead of us just hearing about it when it happens, it kind of tells me that if I had to put my money on it, these would be big-name players. Or at least one of them would be a big-name player. Right? 
Like, I feel like maybe a name or two was leaked to Outside the Lines, and they just can't confirm it, or it would be against their journalism integrity to even leak that name. Now, we know after Deflategate, we do question and continue to come down pretty hard on even ESPN's journalism integrity. I understand that. But, you know, so we know they're not a, ESPN's not afraid to try and tarnish a reputation without facts. We get that, but but maybe they learn their lesson, and maybe they get this story, and maybe they do have a couple names. I just think it's kind of weird that they give us this story where it says, OTL, outside the lines, more PED suspensions coming. Sources tell outside the lines that there are a couple players that will be announced in the next couple days that tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs in spring training. Like, we didn't hear that story leading up to Colabello's suspension. The first story we heard was Colabella suspended. We didn't have that story leading up to D. Gordon's suspension. And I know D. Gordon won the batting title, but let's be honest. Is D. Gordon really like a celebrity superstar player in Major League Baseball? I guess you could call him. He's a borderline big name around the league, but he's not somebody that, you know, if you're, if you're not the biggest baseball fan, you still know some of the biggest names around the game, right? Uh, I don't know that you automatically know who D. Gordon is or who he plays for or what position he plays or what his numbers were last year. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that that somebody who's not the biggest baseball fan who knows the teams, who knows the players, I don't know that that person knows exactly who D. Gordon is, nor do they care. But, but look, we didn't hear this story leading up to those suspensions. We just heard that those guys tested positive and they're going to be suspended. Okay. But now you're hearing this story kind of warning us that there are going to be some announcements made in the next couple days. And I guess I just wonder, how did Outside the Lines get this? Did they get turned on? Did, did they get leaked a name? Did a name get leaked to them and they go digging and they couldn't confirm the name, but they could confirm that a couple players did test positive. So they run with this story saying there are a couple names, just giving you the heads up. Because when you see it, know that we found out about it first. I think that could be the case. So I do think this sort of at least tells me that a name, at least one name that's going to be announced is going to be a pretty big name. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But in this report, I think what's the most interesting part about it is they know the drug that these players have been testing positive for. The players like Calabello, D. Gordon, and even the players that will be announced here in the next couple days. The drug is called, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but I'm just reading it off the report. And I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make my best effort to pronounce this correctly. If I don't pronounce it correctly and you want to come attack me on Twitter, I'll I'll respond to you right now. Go fuck yourself. Okay? Get a fucking life. (laughs) That's that's, I'll respond to you right now. I'll get that shit out of the way. Go fuck yourself. Here's my best job trying to pronounce this. Turinabal. T-U-R-I-N-A-B-O-L. Turinabal. <laughs> um, so that's how we're going to pronounce it. So this drug, Turinabal, it's what they're getting caught testing positive for. Now, according to this report, testing for this drug took a major leap about two years ago because Turinabal used to be undetectable after a week. A week after taking this? It would be, you could not detect it in a drug test a week later. 
So the players know that. They know that timetable. There is always somebody in a lab trying to give these guys something that will go undetectable, right? That will go undetected. Like we know when we go back to the A-Rod stuff, he was pumping gummies in the clubhouse. He knew that that stuff would be out of his system by the end of the game, right? I mean, that, that's, that's where they stood. That, that's what these guys know. That's where they perfect this stuff. He, A-Rod never tested positive. He just got caught involved in this PED ring with Tony Bosch. And that's how he got caught. These guys now are getting caught. And they're getting caught using Turinabal, which used to be undetectable after a week. A week after they took it. Now, researchers have found, according to this report, researchers have found that by increasing the sensitivity of their testing equipment, they could detect this stuff a month later. Because what they would find is the parent drug itself, Turinabol, that wouldn't be detected. But there would be other little parts of this drug that would be detected a month later. And recent positive tests have turned up in spring training, which seemed odd to anti-doping experts because they see, they see it this way. They say players know they're going to be tested in spring training. And... What they found was that because the parent drug itself was not found in these drug tests, they found that the players used Turinabol more than a week before they were tested. So that the players were using Turinabol, and what they were thinking was what was previously known to be true, that Turinabol would be undetectable after a week. They found that these players were taking Turinabol and they were being tested a week later, over a week later. But because they increased the sensitivity of their testing equipment, they found that they could now detect this uh, about a month later. You know, they had a month span to detect Turinabal, and apparently the word never got out to the players. And now that's a problem, because now the players are going, wait a minute, I thought this drug Turinabal, I... I thought that it was undetectable after a week. So they set themselves up going into spring training, taking this stuff, thinking that, oh, we know we're getting tested. We know we're going to take it a week before we get tested. They didn't know that the testing was improved so much that, well, now it could be detected within a month. And now that's screwing over some of these players that took it who didn't get the word, who didn't get the memo that the drug testing had been improved. So, now we have these players that tested positive that we know are going to be released in the next couple days. I guess I'm on the edge of my seat. But, um, you know, I'm not going to... Look, you know where I stand with PEDs and, and, and baseball. This is just a sign. Like, this story about Turinabal and players know that it goes undetectable, uh, you know, after a week... Or, you know, some, they're trying to improve the drug testing. It shows me that there's always going to be players who are trying to beat the system. Like, that's just the game they play. And if you think it's only this handful of guys that didn't get the memo about Turinabal and the testing that's improved with it, then, you know, I, I think you're nuts. It's obviously more than just a handful of guys, right? It is. There's a lot of players out there looking to beat the system. And that's going to continue, as long as the game is around, as long as this is a competitive sport, as long as players are looking to get a competitive edge, and why wouldn't you be? 
there's always going to be something that beats the system. We're going to hear a story in 10 years about uh, a drug that's all of a sudden coming up that, well, was going undetected for so long because the, the drug testing wasn't good enough. I mean, we're always going to hear about something. There's always going to be someone cooking up uh, some type of substance in a lab that either goes unde- undetected or helps another drug go undetected, right? There's always going to be something. All this story does to me is confirm my beliefs that players are always going to try to beat the system. Always. And, and even though we hear these stories and we'll see these suspensions, it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. And it's way more than just this hand, these handful of players. Right? It is. It's way more than this. But that's the story outside the lines. I guess we'll wait and see uh, what these names are, who these players will be. Uh, but I've just accepted it. I mean, I, it's, I'm not going to – I don't come down and crest these players and, and uh, you know, attack them personally and, and call them losers and morons and cheaters. I, I'm not doing that because there's players that are beating the system that we don't know about because they're not failing tests because they got the memo on what goes undetected. They're just probably working with better uh, drug experts than, than Colabello and D. Gordon and, and these other guys that are going to get named. So – you're still going to go out, hit the ball, throw the ball, catch the ball. Uh, it, it, you're still going to go out and perform. And if everybody's doing something, which I, I think most players probably are, or at least trying to, as you're finding out now, it's, it, it, it's, it's tough for me to get too worked up about it. But it's always a story. It's always going to be a story. Uh, and when the story comes out with the names that are linked to this new Outside the Lines report, I will react to it. Last night in the NBA playoffs, I told you we got some drama. Golden State, they complete a comeback at home in game two against Portland, and they beat the Trailblazers 110 to 99. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I did not stay up for this one. I didn't. I fell asleep uh, pretty early last night. Um, Portland, it looked like they had this one. It did. No Steph Curry for Golden State. Portland was, what were they up at the end of three quarters? 11 points. Damian Lillard had a fantastic third quarter. I could not stay up for this one. I ended up passing out. So I wake up today, and I see that Golden State came back and won this game 110-99 to thanks to a 34-12 to run in the fourth quarter. Golden State outscored the Trailblazers 34-12 to in the fourth. And all you really need to know is that even without Steph Curry, Klay Thompson and Draymond Green are just too much. They're just too much. They're too good. And as scrappy as Portland may be, and as much as the Warriors will miss Steph Curry long-term if he were to miss time long-term, in the meantime, the Warriors still have some pretty damn good players and some all-stars. Thompson, Green, Klay Thompson, 27 points last night. Um, turned it on from the three-point line late. Draymond Green, 17 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists, four blocks for Draymond Green. I mean, even without Steph Curry, the Warriors are just too good, and it's a four-quarter game. And when you outscore the Blazers 34-12 in your own building, you're probably going to win that one if you're Golden State, and that's exactly what Golden State did. They now have a two-games-to-none series lead, and I think what that win does last night is it gives Steph Curry even more time off. Because if you're the Warriors right now, and you could say whatever you want about Steph Curry possibly returning for Game 3, 
There's no way he plays game three. There's no way he should. No way. The Warriors are up two games to none. When is game three? Game three is on Saturday night. Okay? You got Thursday and Friday off. No, excuse me. You got you got more than that off. Okay? You got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. I mean, then you can have Saturday off. When is game... So game three is Saturday. Not until Saturday. Game four is on Monday. I If I'm the Warriors, I'm targeting game five, if it's even necessary, which is Wednesday, May 11th. Next Wednesday. That's the game I'd be targeting. Because do we really think that Portland is going to win both of the next two games? I don't think so. I, they could win one. The series is going back to Portland. They could win one. I'll give, without Steph Curry for Golden State, I can give Portland one game out of the next two. But I'm not giving them two. So if the Warriors are up three games to one without Steph Curry, or if they can do that going in to game five, are you even going to play Steph Curry in game five? The only way I even play Steph Curry in game five is if the series is tied at two. That's the only way. And I don't even think that's going to happen. So this idea that Steph Curry should return for game three is just, it's stupid. He shouldn't. And actually, when you hear Golden State's GM talk, it seems like he's kind of saying, without coming out and actually saying it, he's implying that he'll be, he will be the guy that makes the final decision on Steph Curry. Uh, the quote was something along the lines of, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something along the lines of, yeah, Steph thinks he's going to be back in game three, but we don't actually know that yet as an organization. And I think what the GM was saying, without actually coming out and being too blunt and saying it, he was saying, ultimately, I'm the guy who makes the decisions here for this team, not just in the short term, but also in the long term. But forget about long term. In the short term, we're up two games to none, and it's going to take two wins for Portland for me to even think about putting Steph Curry in this game, knowing that we need him for the Western Conference Finals against San Antonio. That's what, that's what he's saying. And if they put Steph Curry in game three, that to me is just stupid. It's just stupid. Makes no sense. Give him the extra rest. Give him another week off. And if you could somehow even close out the series without him, which looks like you might be able to do, if Klay Thompson and Draymond Green could play like they played last night, then you could have the opportunity to rest Steph Curry until you get to the Western Conference Finals. And when would that start? In three weeks? In two and a half weeks? So that's, that should be your goal if you're the Warriors. Not rushing Steph Curry out for this game tonight. That would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So the Warriors win last night. The game before then was Miami in Toronto for game one of their second round series. The Raptors, Kyle Lowry sent this game to overtime with a half-court buzzer beater at the end of regulation. And he just kind of threw it up and it went in. It tied the game, sent it to OT, but in overtime, Miami ends up pulling it out. 102-96, to the Heat win game one. The story with I think with this series now is you got Chris Bosh who's on the bench and you got Chris Bosh who wants to who wants to play. It sounds like he wants to play in the next game if he could play in the next game if they would okay him. I I'm not gonna lie. I'm somewhat confused with the Chris Bosh story. Uh, Chris Bosh. It's an interesting one because now well let let's let me take you back, Chelsea. Actually, Bosh has played in 53 games this year. In the 53 games he played, he averaged 19 points and 7 rebounds a game. Pretty good numbers. So when you look at those numbers, if you're Miami, 
I would think that if Chris Bosh is able to play, you should want him to be in uniform to help you out, right? Because you should, this should be a series you could win against Toronto, and then you go play Cleveland, and and who knows what happens. I guess you look at that, you, you should want Chris Bosh. Um, now, Bosh has not played since February 9th. That was right before the All-Star break, right? During the All-Star break, it was revealed that a blood clot returned in his calf. Now, the team, I don't even think the team has officially come out and told anybody, officially, I don't think they've made any announcement as to why Bosch had never played in the second half, why he had been been away from the team. But I think we all assume it's the blood clot situation, which is a very serious situation. There's no question. But Bosch, it seems like, you know, he wants to play again. And, and apparently, he believes he is deemed to be healthy enough to return. But the Heat are saying, eh, we don't think so. We don't think you're healthy enough to play. We're looking out for your health, uh, first and foremost. And that's even what the, the Players Association is saying. However, while the Players Association agrees with that, that Chris Boss's health is the priority here, is the main concern, the Players Association has requested a meeting with the Miami Heat, because Bosch is saying he wants to play, and the Heat are saying no. So the Players Union is now stepping in, and they have requested a meeting with the Miami Heat. I don't know where this leads. I don't know where this goes, but I just kind of find it interesting that if if Chris Bosch, look, of course his health is the priority, but if Chris Bosch is getting the okay from a health standpoint to return, why wouldn't the Heat want him to play? So, it's one thing if there are still questions and concerns, and maybe there are. I mean, maybe deep down inside, doctors do have questions about it still, and they do have concerns. In that case, then I can understand Miami. But I, I, if Bosch says he's able to play, if the players' union is kind of leaning towards talking Miami into trying to let him play, and everybody does care about his health, then why wouldn't Miami want him to play? If he is healthy enough to play, I, I guess that's where my confusion lies. And maybe we'll have to dig in deeper to the medical report here. But uh, well, this is an interesting story. It's one to keep your eye out for because Miami, they win last night. And look, maybe Miami doesn't need Chris Bosh to beat Toronto. But you would think that they, they will need him. They need him certainly to beat Cleveland in the second round. And I think they will be playing Cleveland in the second round. Cleveland and Atlanta, their game two is tonight at 8 o'clock on TNT. It is the only game in the NBA playoffs tonight. Uh, Cleveland leads that series one game to none. So whatever happens there, I'll react to it on tomorrow's podcast. In the Stanley Cup playoffs, three games last night. Tampa Bay beats the Islanders 5-4 in overtime. Friend of the show, Brian Boyle, uh, with a big one last night. And the Lightning lead that series two games to one. I'd like to see Boyle hoist that cup over his head for sure. He's been on this show multiple times. Again, friend of the show. So, uh, you know, I, I have different rooting interests in this Stanley Cup. Obviously, I'd rather be rooting for the Bruins. But as we know, they never made the playoffs this year. They didn't make the playoffs for the second straight year. So, I find myself, like, who am I rooting for? All right, yeah, I'd like to see Boyle win it. I get to the Islanders. Yeah, I'd like to see Johnny Boychuk win it again. However, I do have a tough time rooting for the Islanders because they're a New York team. I won't lie to you there. Uh, The other game, another game last night, Nashville beat San Jose 4-1. 
That cuts San Jose's series lead to two games to one. I think San Jose has a golden opportunity to get out of the West this year. Uh, but I, So I, even though they lost last night, I do think they're going to beat the Predators in this series. However, I, I find myself rooting for the Sharks at the same time because Joe Thornton, former Boston Bruin, I was a huge fan of Joe Thornton when he played here. Uh, you know, I just, I'd love to see him hoist that cup over his head. And in fact, that might be the guy I'm rooting for the most. So San Jose might be the team I actually... I am rooting for the most out of anybody left in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then also last night, St. Louis beats Dallas 6-1. That game was in St. Louis. And the Blues now lead the series two games to one. There's only one Stanley Cup playoff game tonight. The Pittsburgh Penguins uh, look once again at their rookie goaltender Murray uh, to step up big for him once again. The Penguins lead the series two games to one as they host the Capitals at 8 o'clock tonight in game four. Suspensions left and right. You saw Brooks Orpik go down. And guess what? Guess what? The Capitals, they end up getting what they want. The Capitals, see, what happened the other night is they complained after the Brooks Orpik suspension. And they said, well, you know, we don't don't agree with that suspension. Um, But then again, and and again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing what the capital said, but it was along the lines of, well, you know who we're playing, right? You know who we're playing. We're, we're playing the Penguins. We're playing Sidney Crosby, Genny Malkin. The league would love to see Crosby win, win another cup. Would love to see the Penguins win. So you know why they're suspending our guys for three games. Some people called it a bad look. They said, oh, you're going to blame it on the refs. It was a, you know, it was a dirty hit from Brooks Orpik. And, and I actually think Orpik should have been suspended five games based on the history of some of the dirtbag hits he's made throughout his entire career. But I think if you saw what the Capitals were doing there, they, they end up, they end up, you know, getting exactly what they want because now Chris Letang and the Penguins is going to be suspended for one game because of a hit he had the other night. And I'm not, look, look, every big hit, it's like people are crying suspension. They want this. They want that. They want the other thing. I don't know. Is the Tang a dirty player? I, I don't necessarily see that. What I, if you're going to ask me who's a dirtier player, Orpik or the Tang, it's not even a, a question. Orpik is obviously the player that's the dirty player out of those two. The Tang stepped up, made a big hit. Um, He's going to be suspended for one game. I think regardless of, of maybe... What they saw in that hit, I think the league, because of what they heard, and the Capitals putting the league on blast, I think they felt the need to come down with a one-game suspension to, to make themselves look like, okay, the Capitals are wrong. We, we are not going to just suspend guys from one side. We are not favoring one team. I think that played into it. So I think the Capitals got what they wanted there. Ultimately, what the Capitals want is to be able to win tonight in Pittsburgh, and even the series up at two. I picked the Capitals to win the Stanley Cup, but sometimes you get these stories with certain goaltenders who kind of come out of nowhere and take the team on their back, and this rookie, the kid Murray, I mean, he's stepping into a spot in which, you know, that's Marc-Andre Fleury's spot, and this kid's stealing it from him. Fleury has the concussion issues. Murray stepped in. You can't take this kid out right now. You kidding me? You can't take him out, and Pittsburgh's offense Towards the end of the regular season, I told you they look like a scary group. And they got some, some big-time talent on the offensive end. So uh, 
Pittsburgh's an interesting story. They could be throwing a wrench into the Capitals' plans. They could be throwing a wrench into into my predictions, which had the Capitals hoisting La Coupe, Stan Lee. So that game's tonight at 8. I'll react to it all on tomorrow's podcast. I am here five days a week. You can subscribe at dannypicard.com, also on iTunes, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, and even the Google Play Music Store. Somebody tweeted me last night saying that they ended up getting the show on Google Play. And that's great. The problem I have with it is I have an iPhone, and so when I download the Google Play Music app and I search for the show, it doesn't show up for some reason. In fact, no podcasts show up, no music shows up, only videos show up. So I don't really, maybe that's my phone, maybe it's because of the iPhone, I don't know. But when I go on the Google Play Music Store on my computer, you search my show, it shows up, and there's a link to it. So, I mean, maybe if you don't have an iPhone and you have the Google Play store, music store, and you search my show, maybe it shows up for you there. But from everything I'm told and the emails that Google Play is sending me, this show is also available in the Google Play music store. So make sure you search the Danny Picard show right now. Again, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all forms of social media. Uh, anything that happens in the NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, and even with this Red Sox game tonight in Chicago, I'll react to it on tomorrow's podcast. And of course, any update on Deflategate, I will react to that as well. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.